0: Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast, I'm Adam. Today we head to the Essex-Hertfordshire border near Stansted Airport to look at a story punctuated with extreme violence from beginning to end. But firstly, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially the new members who have joined this exclusive club this week, that's Lewis Lundy and Dean Bull. Enjoy the 28 full-length bonus episodes and other exclusive content and if you are coming to any of the live shows, please message me via Patreon and I'll make sure you come backstage. Talking of live events, just to make you aware, I am now appearing at the Pilot TV Festival in Manchester at 3.30pm on Saturday the 18th of May for a 75-minute discussion about the ethics of true crime shows. Donald McIntyre off the telly and Rosaline from All Killer, No Filler are on the panel, so I think it should be interesting. Tickets can be bought at the Pilot TV Festival site, or head to UKTrueCrime.com for a link. As you will know from listening to this show, I'm always desperately in search of facts and insight, so if you have any views at all on this subject, do please contact me directly. So let's quickly set some context for today's story by looking at the music we were listening to at the time on the 22nd of July, 2015. Grunge was back in a big way, as Little Mix topped the UK charts with Blackmagic. In the US, it was With Khalifa, featuring Charlie Puth, on the top spots with See You Again. And in Australia, it was a blast from the past with Olivia Newton-John and John Farnham, with highlights from Two Strong Hearts Live, riding high at the top of the album charts. I've not caught up with that album yet, have you? <laughs> Olivia to john was my childhood crush, and John Farnham's hair in the 80s. well, I think it will hold a special spot for those who witnessed it. So on to today's story. Stansted Mount Fitchett is a quiet, pretty Essex village of around 6,000 people, 35 miles north of London and close to Stansted Airport. Despite the noise from the planes, it's still quite a quaint place that feels rural and a working windmill built in 1787 is in the village. It was at 10.54pm on the 22nd of July 2015 that police received a 999 call from the mobile phone of 23-year-old Brett Rogers. He said, There's been a murder at Bentfield Gardens, Stansford Mount Fitchett. Asked how he knew, he replied, Er, uh, well, I came in and there's been a murder. My mum has been stabbed, and another person that I don't know. Officers raced to the scene and were stunned by what they saw. Brett Rogers was standing nonchalantly in an alleyway outside the house, laughing, with his hands covered in blood. Rushing past him, officers found his mum, 54-year-old Gillian Phillips, on a bloody sofa in the living room, and her friend, 60-year-old David Oakes, lying face down on the floor, covered in blood, but still breathing, although it was horribly restricted, and coming only in desperate gurgles, he was in a bad way. The scene was straight out of a horror movie, and none of the first respondents will ever forget the sights, sounds and smells of that summer evening. It was immediately apparent that nothing more could be done for Gillian, who was already dead, but paramedics desperately tried to save David's life but unfortunately his injuries were too severe and he died shortly afterwards. Officers could immediately see a number of clues as to what had happened and they were hopeful that they could quickly find the killer or killers in the crucial hours straight after the crime. A quick survey of the scene showed that the murderer hadn't been systematic in covering their tracks, as blood splattered knives, some broken, and trainers covered in blood were just lying in the kitchen bin and of course there was a witness outside the house, also covered in blood. After establishing that it was Brett Rogers who made the 999 call, officers asked him some more questions. One asked where the blood all over his hands came from, and he pointed and nodded towards the scene of the murders, and said in there. A paramedic saw a lot of clotting blood on his right hand, and asked if he had been stabbed, and he replied, No, I'm okay. Brett Rogers continued that he didn't want to talk to the police or answer any more of their questions. He also told them that he didn't live at that address, adding, My mate does. Officers immediately clearly felt he was the prime suspect for the killings and he was arrested on suspicion of murder at 11.45pm that evening and taken into custody. When Rogers was arrested, he asked an officer, Are we going to McDonald's? Gillian Phillips, Brett's mum, also had one other son. she had broken up with Brett's dad Peter in 2007 after 20 years of marriage and Brett had previously stayed with his mum until 2010 when he moved in with his dad. Jill was very well known and liked in the local community. The following comment from one friend was typical of many others. She said, Everybody loved Jill. She made the most beautiful cakes, that was her passion. Everybody knew her for her cakes. She was a dinner lady, and all the children just adored her. Jill will be missed terribly, she was just so lovely. And her friend David Oakes, who died, was a local taxi driver who was good friends with Jill. David, whose early career had been in the RAF, was suffering from face cancer and could only communicate through nods and blinks. He and Jill were drinking friends and they enjoyed each other's company. His daughter, Louise, was his only child and she felt his loss particularly strongly as she and her dad had only recently got into contact after many years apart. Officers just couldn't understand why would anyone have wanted to hurt these two people. As the double murder inquiry quickly picked up pace, detectives found that Jill and David had been drinking pretty heavily before they were killed and it would have been hard for them to defend themselves from their attacker. Although Brett was in custody and suspected of the double murder, he was continuing to deny responsibility. His story was that the murders took place while he was away at the shops for a few minutes. On his way back from the shops to his home, he claimed that he had seen this stranger who must have murdered his mum and David and this person had stabbed him as he walked past him. The description he gave of the mysterious stranger was about as generic as they come. Although professionals, it was still tough for the forensics experts back at the murder scene due to the sheer level of violence that had been used. Copious amounts of blood stained the house throughout both floors. It was everywhere, on walls, soaked into the carpet, on the bedroom and bathroom floor, on the cream sofa, on the white kitchen cupboards and below the cutlery drawer and the kitchen bin. The two attacks had clearly been utterly ferocious. Jill had suffered 41 stab wounds to her head, neck and torso, including one which penetrated her skull and bone and caused bleeding in the skull. She also had 14 blunt impact marks and a trainer, belonging to her son Brett, was linked to bruising on her cheek so it appeared that Brett had stamped on his dying mum. There were defence wounds, so she desperately fought for her life. The attack on David Oakes was no less brutal. He had 56 injuries to his head, neck and body, both stab wounds and blunt impact. There was significant bruising to the side of his head, and his left cheekbone was fractured. His head had been kicked or stamped on, with some considerable ferocity. The forensic evidence recovered further implicated Brett Rogers. A total of seven bloody knives were found in the kitchen bin, along with bloodstained clothing and trainers, which belonged to him. The blade of one kitchen knife was severely bent and had both victim's blood DNA on the blade and his blood on the handle. With all the information available, detectives were certain they'd enough to convict Brett Rogers and he was charged with two counts of murder. As detectives probed into the history of Brett Rogers, they discovered a history of violence predominantly against his parents. In October 2011, he'd picked up an ornamental well from his mum's garden and threw it at his dad's window, smashing it. He then used a cricket ball on a stick to smash the rear door of the family home. And in January 2012, his mum wouldn't let him in, so he used a shovel to break a window in a door. In June 2012, Rogers was convicted of battery on his father. In that instant, he had shouted, I will get a knife and stick it in you. Nice. And at the time of the murders, Brett Rogers was on licence. He had been released from prison in March 2015 for causing grievous bodily harm of intent for breaking his dad, Peter Rogers, eye socket in August 2012 at his flat in nearby Bishop Stortford. Since his release, he'd been living with his mum, but he was still on OK terms with his dad. In fact, just a few days before the murders, his dad had asked him if he fancied a game of golf, to which he'd replied, not today, but maybe in a few days. Medical records showed that in 2010, Rogers had suffered from psychotic symptoms, having taken decent-sized quantities of cannabis and cocaine. So detectives arranged for him to be seen by three mental health professionals before he was interviewed. They all concluded that at this time there was no evidence of either mental health issues or psychosis and that Brett Rogers was fully aware of what he was doing when he killed his mum and her friend David Oakes but they still had no idea why and Rogers, well, he certainly wasn't telling. At his trial at Chelmsford Crown Court, the former milkman Brett Rogers Denied two counts of murder, and stuck to his story that he returned home to discover the pair dead inside the house. He said that the stranger he saw must have killed them. Peter Rogers, his dad, told the court that he'd seen his son while he was on remand after killing his mum. He said he'd asked him about the killing, and he denied responsibility. I asked him, and he just says, I never done it, he told the court. He added that generally his son always got on better with his mum than with him. He was doing the cleaning, cutting the grass, doing all sorts. Generally it couldn't have been better. It was great. No arguments at all that I know of, he told the court. But Brett Rogers, well, he couldn't control his temper and clearly he wasn't the brightest and didn't understand the very basics of trying to influence a jury in your favour. This was shown during the trial, when Rogers didn't exactly help himself, when he attacked both a male and female dock officer in front of the jury, during evidence given by a forensic expert. The female guard was punched in the face before reinforcements arrived and overpowered him. Roger's dad, Peter, in the public gallery, shouted to his son to stop it during the court session. And after that, Roger's hands were cuffed together, and he was also separately cuffed to a guard, with two other male security officers accompanying him. After an eight-day trial at Chelmsford Crown Court, unsurprisingly, the jury of eight women and four men took five and a half hours to unanimously convict him of both killings. He sat impassively in the dock as the jury announced the guilty verdicts. The judge sentenced that Rogers must spend at least 32 years behind bars. After the verdict, DCI Morgan Cronin of the Kent and Essex Serious Crime Directorate said, Brett Rogers failed to admit his responsibility for abruptly ending the lives of his mum and her friend in such a brutal way. Mrs. Phillips had welcomed her son back in her home despite his violent past. She was murdered in her own home, the place where she should have been safest, and by someone she should have been able to trust. Brett Rogers has still not given a reason behind the murders. He is a violent man who thankfully will have a long time behind bars to think about his actions and will not be able to hurt anybody else. David Oakes's daughter Louise added, This was a horrible crime against two innocent people whose lives were cut short by the action of Brett Rogers. I'm glad that justice had been served and that the jury made the correct decision based on all the information they'd been given. This has been a difficult time for all of those involved, both with my own family and that of Gillian's too. Hopefully now it has come to a close, we can all try to move on with our lives. But for those who hoped that Rogers would rot in his cell for his awful crime, they were to be sadly disappointed, as he too was to quickly die a violent death. Rogers was found strangled in his cell at HMP Long Lartin in Worcestershire in June 2017. He was murdered by two of his fellow inmates, Billy White, a Christian, and Muslim Gary Ninley who both prayed after they killed Rogers. The pair who admitted murder believed that their actions would exorcise a demon from Rogers and cleanse him of his crimes. they decided to murder him a week or so earlier and they'd actually been smoking cannabis with Rogers on the day of the attack. Linley stated that the demons inside him needed to be consumed and God would forgive Rogers for his previous wrongdoings. During their police interviews, Lindley and White, who worked as support cleaners at the Maximum Security Jail, said they tried to snap Roger's neck and then suffocated him with a pillow because he did not appear to be dead. And White then used a blue marker pen to draw yin and yang signs on the dead man's cheek. After their joint prayer session following the murder, Linley handed staff at the prison a note saying the two killers had decided to free their victim from darkness. He wrote, I was ordered by the Lord, my God, to free Brett Rogers. I know you will not see it this way, but that is between you and God. I am of sound mind. Please can I speak to the Governor? White, aged 24, was given a whole life sentence for his self-perceived act of kindness towards Rogers, which was carried out while he was already serving a life sentence for the 2015 murder of his partner, whom he stabbed through the neck as she slept at their home in Hayes, West London. His accomplice, 42-year-old Lindley, was serving an indeterminate sentence after he was jailed at Nottingham Crown Court in 2007 for his part in a violent distraction burglary where he beat up an 82-year-old pensioner. Lindley will now serve at least 17 years for life sentence for killing Rogers. Incidentally, killing people seemed to be almost a family trade for the Linley clan. His dad, Glenn Linley Senior, was given life with a minimum tariff of 15 years in 1996 after he strangled his 19-year-old mistress. And in 2002, his half-brother, Glenn Ansell, was given the same sentence for fatally stabbing Anthony Monaghan in a drugs-related incident. I think I'd probably decline an invite to dinner at their house. Wouldn't you? So, what do you make of what we've heard today? A son killing his mum goes against all that feels right to us as human beings. But a quick search brings up numerous similar cases, each heartbreaking, of a son killing their mum. One recurrent theme seems to be that the son has a history of violence or other issues, but the mum still takes him in, protects him, and gives him an opportunity to get his life together another opportunity. Then in a time of pressure or stress, the son violently attacked his mum. As was the case in today's story. Nobody could have blamed Gillian if she had told Brett that she didn't want him to live with her again due to his history of violence towards her as well as his dad. And just what made him kill his mum and David Oakes on that terrible night remains a mystery. What was the catalyst for him to suddenly snap? Was it just a remark he overheard? Something else in his life that made him angry? Or maybe he just hated to see his mum happy and enjoying herself? I guess we'll never know. And what of his murder at the hands of the two inmates at the top security prison? Incidentally, one of too many murders in that hellish place in the last five years. I've tried, but it's just so hard to have any sympathy for Rogers at all, isn't it? and many will feel that his death at least saved us the cost of paying for his continued care for potentially upwards of another 50 years. And it also kept two other very dangerous men behind bars for longer, probably for the rest of their lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I really do appreciate it with the other 567 true crime podcasts out there vying for your attention please head to our Facebook group to continue the conversation about this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime. There's been some really good stuff there this week, particularly about writing true crime books that I'd recommend you read. We have some top, top authors as part of the group willing to share their expertise. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True For the price of a dodgy pint of lager, you can listen to 28 bonus episodes and other exclusive content. And of course it helps me producing this free weekly show. So that is all from me for today, so until we speak again next week, take it easy and crucially, if at all possible, please do avoid getting murdered. But most of all, stay classy. Cheerio!